1: Good morning, everyone. It is the 21st of December, and uh, this Monday morning is Mornings Without Carmen. Carmen taking the day off this morning as part of our holiday week, and I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for this morning. Delighted. The notorious PK. <laughs> how you came up with that on what is called the tracking sheet for our listeners that they know what we're talking about is we have a sheet that you send out, and, and as producer of the show, Paul Perot, you, you get everything ready. You have a, a lot of great news uh, headlines. I'm to keep you in uh, in line here, I know, but know? the notorious Peter Kapsner, I was going through all of the research Last night, and I was a little surprised by that <laughs> that <laughs> nickname. So I'm going to try to live into that, but I don't exactly know how. But of course, this is the the week of Christmas, uh, a real special week, a real hard week. It's it's all of that. But but in the midst of of the difficulty and the ongoing pandemic and, and the many things that Christmas represents, and sometimes for uh, for us, it highlights loss in our lives, and it and it highlights pain in our lives. But it also highlights um, celebration. And, and highlights the joy and highlights the fact that there there was a star that appeared over Bethlehem. And for people who had been walking in darkness for some 400 years, a great light began to shine. And that's what we're going to celebrate this week, certainly this morning, I'm sure throughout the rest of the week. And Paul, as part of our very special COVID Christmas this year, which has obviously upended the way we might traditionally try to celebrate things. Is there any one thing that you want to make sure happens as part of the celebration this week?
2: Well, you just brought up all this thing about light. And right. one thing my wife and I have been doing a lot of over the
1: last few. Uh, well, we we started doing a
2: lot of drives uh, when COVID hit, you know, just getting out of the house, just even though we're isolated. Well, now uh, with with the Christmas season. We're spending evenings, you know, especially on the weekends, driving out and seeing the Christmas lights. Saw some great ones, and we have some big plans for this coming Wednesday because there's two really big displays down in the Southwest Metro yeah. in the Shakopee area that we got to hit. And we got the tickets for that. You have to go to get tickets for these, and we did. And so we're kind of psyched about that. Yeah, it, those... it's, it's it's a way of bringing some joy in the midst of this blah
1: yeah that's in so. the light yeah those light festivals have been great and and we have driven by a few see the cars parked nose to tail as the as they're going through these things it just is a way to keep a bit of light another uh, passage of scripture i think that we'll start with this morning that also brings some light into this recognizing that not only are we celebrating the advent of the past for the people who waited for the savior to come but we live still in an advent of sorts waiting for our savior to return and so a passage from john chapter 14 we'll start with Uh, in which Jesus says this to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you... I will come back and take you to be with me, and you also may be where I am. And this is Jesus' great promise of the second advent in which we live right now, that as our bridegroom, we are his bride. He is using the language of the bridegroom that when they used to get married in, in this betrothal period of Jewish culture... The bridegroom would say that I'm coming back for you, bride. I'm going to go prepare our new home for us. And Jesus is using that kind of imagery and metaphor and language to say that I've done my, I will be doing my work on the cross. I will defeat death. I will leave for a period of time, but I promise you this, I will come back. And in the midst of the darkness of our pandemic, in the midst of the darkness of our world, there is the light, uh, Paul Pro. There is the, the things that we are celebrating there. We, we wait for our Savior, again, uh, to, to return and take us home. We know that we have that great promise as part of God's kingdom. So that's what we'll celebrate this morning on Mornings Without Carmen. Up next, we'll be joined by Zach Jenkins of Cedarville University, infectious disease expert. And we'll talk a little bit about the new COVID strain that we've heard uh, some news from out of the UK, as well as the vaccine that is out. So stay with us, more to come on Mornings Without Carmen.
2: six it's good
1: to have you back again oh hey welcome back to the show I'm Peter Capstan, filling in for this morning for Carmen LeBurge and delighted to be joined by Dr. Zach Jenkins a regular contributor to the program here this morning Zach is an infectious disease expert works at Cedarville University good morning Zach Good morning. So we have quite a bit to cover this morning. There's a lot of breaking news coming out this weekend out of the UK. But let's start also with, I, I believe it was Friday. Was it maybe Thursday or Friday that we did get news that uh, a second vaccine, this one from Moderna, had been approved for distribution?
0: Yeah, it, you know, it's exciting that we actually have two different vaccine uh, vaccines that have some good data supporting them that are going to start hitting the market. And that should really increase our ability to I guess, spread it throughout the United States and, and get to a lot of those communities that haven't seen a lot of the first vaccine yet.
1: Yeah, and, and the importance of getting that distribution, Zach, I, I, the last I've seen is that the the lethality rate of the virus is at about 0.5 percent and, and compared to the common flu which is at about 0.08 percent it's still relatively high but to to the extent that we can get to the most vulnerable people in our population vaccinated we, we can start seeing uh, some pretty significant progress against this vaccine is that sort of what the hope is right now in getting more vaccines to the marketplace for distribution
0: well, right now they're really targeting with these with, with these different phases the highest risk groups. So, for example, healthcare workers because of how frequently they are exposed are, are in that category. But the one big category I think that you could see from a mortality perspective they're targeting would be those in long-term care facilities. Um, I, I think it's something along the lines of thirty to seventy percent of the deaths. And you have to quote don't quote me on that one, but it's somewhere in there that seem to be associated with that particular population. And it's, it's actually, by and large, a greater proportion than in any other particular group when it comes to mortality.
1: Yeah. And that would be then I, I've seen in, in some of the early distribution of the United Kingdom, for example, that they really did focus on both the frontline healthcare workers as well as the population that was considered most at risk. I, I am seeing conflicting reports about who might be first in line for some of these vaccines in the United States. Do, have you seen any any information about sort of where our priority is going to lie about who gets it first?
0: Yeah, you know, the the one big thing I would say is the CDC's issued some initial guidance, but really how things are kind of being determined is at a state level. So every state gets to identify which regions are going to receive it first, and then those regions will spread it to different populations in that area. So the more dense a region is, the more vaccine gets sent that direction is, is typically how this works out. And then they usually will send it to like the biggest facilities that can house the Pfizer vaccine, which requires that deep cold storage. The trouble we run into, though, is not every community, especially those in rural areas, has that storage. Um, So that's where actually this Moderna vaccine is helpful because it doesn't have that same uh, deep cold storage requirement. It does require... A freezer of some sort, but it's not on the same level that the Pfizer vaccine does.
1: Yeah, and we did see some headlines come out, uh, I believe, from Alaska, as well as uh, maybe the Chicago area, northern Illinois, somewhere in that neck of the woods, about some adverse reactions that happened. But I- I've got to believe, Zach, even though that that's going to be the headline and, and, and the news loves to sort of highlight those things that are the outliers, uh, this was probably not unexpected that there would be at least some kind of side effects associated with some measure of the population base. Is this something though that we should be worried about or keep our eye on or again is this to be sort of expected about how this is going to work
0: so the the things that have really been reported today are are what we would call reactogenic and what that really means is the the side effects we observe are all kind of the immune system being triggered so for example you may have a fever you may have chills um, you may have just general fatigue all those types of things are things that that really happen when your immune system ramps up and that's something we actually want to do to people we want their immune systems to function well in these cases because that allows the vaccine to actually have an effect so we we expect that kind of thing Um, there when you look at the actual data between these two different agents when it comes to the studies uh, they actually highlight some other things that aren't necessarily reactogenic but it's in a very small proportion so a big one people have been throwing around on social media for example is bell's palsy and bell's palsy if you look at the rate that it occurred in the study it's the exact same rate that that occurs in the general population every single year so the problem with kind of saying that it's just the vaccine that did that is the study wasn't designed to look at anything like that and it was only an extraordinarily small number of people so probably the way that you can kind of extrapolate this to the general population is it could have easily been just a natural occurrence and nothing to do with the vaccine in that study so we're we're going to dig deeper on these different adverse effects that were seen in that area and the FDA actually made a big point in some of their approval discussions with Moderna with Pfizer to get at some of that more data in the long term
1: yeah, and, and it is interesting how the news does tend to function, Zach, in the sense that uh, the news is probably not going to tell us that a million children played safely on the playground that day because that would be a, a boring, non-cessational headline. But it would probably highlight the one or two children that fell off of maybe the monkey bars that morning. <laughs> and so, you know, that, that's why just to, to take with a grain of salt, right, some of the news headlines that we see about what's happening and, and to just watch this play itself out in the long game seems like it would be. Effective. Well, let's turn quickly to the UK. I know we have a lot of friends that are in the Great Britain area. My wife and I do. I've gone to school over there and we talk with them regularly. And Zach, they had been already pretty significantly locked down, especially in the Scotland area. They were looking forward to about a five day respite over Christmas where they had a chance to gather with friends and family on a more expansive basis. But we were talking with some people some of our friends over Zoom on Saturday and they said, oh, wow, we are just getting news of a semi-emergency, if not outright emergency lockdown. Uh, Christmas hasn't been canceled, but we can only uh, be with one other family now for one day. And that was a result of this new variant that seems to be transmitting at about a 70 percent uh, higher rate among the general population. What, what do we know about this at this point? And is this potentially more lethal or, or will it be more resistant to the vaccine? What can you tell us about some of those headlines?
0: So I think the first thing to understand when it comes to this particular virus is that it has mutated, I think, about 4,000 times, maybe a little bit more than that at this point in time. Most mutations are really, really small in scale and don't have any significant impact. Um, But really what we're talking about with this particular one is it seems to actually increase the rate of transmission. Um, In effect, I think it's like a 70% increase in how quickly it can spread. In contrast to the regular uh, COVID strain, pre- the predominant strains we've been dealing with, um, the one thing that we don't have great data on is what the mortality is from that, and and the reason behind that is, of course, you know deaths are li- always lag like two to three weeks behind actual cases, so we don't know if this is worse or not. Now, when it comes to viruses, typically, if something does have kind of like a worse overall mortality. It tends to fizzle out in the population and doesn't usually last a long time. Um, and the why that is, is it, it doesn't have the ability to spread too far, if you think about it. Mm. So hopefully we won't see more mortality with this particular one. I, I personally don't think we will. But the good news in relation to the vaccine is this. Um, that there were some concerns that, you know, has this mutated in such a way that the vaccines can't work? Um What they really do with vaccines, though, is they actually try to anticipate where those mutations can come from. And so the thought is right now that they probably have anticipated what mutation is present with this particular one. Um, So so we'll have to kind of keep our eyes on that. But we think that the vaccines are still going to have an impact on that.
1: That's great information from Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. Zach, we're going to step away from him just a moment here, and we come back. I want to ask you some questions about uh, COVID home testing and, the ex- and sort of the growing expansion of that, as well as how long it might take to vaccinate the world. Stay with us. There's more to come on Mornings Without Carmen. No. It is about 20 minutes past the top of the hour here on the 21st of December. And we're chatting with Zach Jenkins, who works in the field of infectious disease, about the many headlines that seem to come out almost uh, weekly, if not outright daily on, on the COVID virus. And Zach, I do see there's some news about some home tests that uh, are available, increasingly so, whether it's sort of spit in a test tube or now we can go ahead and swab our own or our child's noses at home and, and use our smartphone to get some results. There's a lot we could talk about here, Zach, but uh, I, I don't know if you've been tested. I know the couple of times I've been tested, I didn't exactly look forward to sort of this Q-tip on steroids heading up into my nasal cavities just short of my brain. I can't imagine self-administering this test, but it seems like it might be an effective way to to at least stop some of the spread.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think the really encouraging thing about having access to testing is that means if you are ill and you're like, you like, hey, you know, is this COVID? Is this not COVID? You can look at on your own; and it doesn't have to necessarily be reported out. And um, so that's at least at least one positive thing for people.
1: Yeah, that's and, and can you take this test multiple times? I mean, is there a cost associated with it? Because it, obviously, somebody can test maybe negative on one day, but then be positive a couple of days later. So, is it, can you just keep taking this test? Do you know at this point?
0: I believe it only has one strip. They may have an extra one in there in case you mess anything up. But it, it's really kind of like a once and done thing. And there is a cost associated with it because it is over the counter. So I think the pricing I've heard is anywhere from $20 to $30 a test. So that'd be a decision someone would kind of have to make in the moment based on how sick they're feeling.
1: And in terms of the reliability of this test that you just referenced, too, I know that uh, as travel has sort of slowly opened a little bit, some countries are allowing for, uh, for international travel based on the negativity rate of the test. And you typically need to have one five days before and then one at the airport and then one and arriving in the new country. Do we see that this test is reliable as if you went to a physician's office and had to wait for the 48 or 72 hours?
0: So my understanding is it is as reliable. And and that's going to be a benefit to people, particularly if they have to travel in the long term, because while we may not have necessarily travel limited within this country between state lines or anything like that, uh, certainly if you go to other countries, depending on what their experiences with COVID are at the moment, you may run into some of those issues. Yeah,
1: I think there'd be a pretty pent up demand for people uh, enjoying travel. I know my wife and I had a chance to go visit some friends in Omaha uh, over the weekend, and j- just getting across the the state line felt like it was a big deal. It almost felt like it was the 1970s and a little bit of Little House on the Prairie again, where we traveled so so far. So I know there'd be a lot of pent up demand globally for that. But uh, in in that, obviously, the world needs to to see the rates come down substantially. And how long do we see that it might take to to vaccinate the world? Uh, to such a degree that we can really begin to see things open up again?
0: Well, in the United States right now, we're kind of predicting towards the end of the spring is where we'll start to see a a real impact from vaccinations, um, because it will take a long time to get enough out there. Uh, You may see smaller communities where you see that, but not necessarily at the the large scale. When it comes to the rest of the world, it kind of depends Again, one of the challenges we run into with the Pfizer vaccine is we need deep cold storage. The Moderna vaccine also needs to be frozen. Uh, so none of those could be sort of room temperature, obviously. So places that are uh, more rural or less developed will be very problematic when it comes to trying to vaccinate the world. So if I think about like sub-Saharan Africa, for example, they don't they don't necessarily have all of those different uh, storage facilities on hand. So that's where some of the other vaccine candidates in the pipeline may come into play. Um, although ethically they're a little concerning. So like the AstraZeneca one, for example, they, they are not going to be charging anyone, but there is concern with that from an ethics perspective because unlike the Moderna and Pfizer one, that actually does use aborted phenol cell lines in its development. Um, same thing with the Johnson & Johnson candidate. So we have a lot of other things beyond those in the pipeline too, but they're, they're ethically questionable, but they're easily to disseminate.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up because I definitely have heard some buzz about some of the vaccines being questionable, as you just uh, mm-hmm. referenced. And but uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that the fact that I mean th- this this horrible reality of using aborted fetal tissue is something that has been practiced uh, for a considerable amount of time, and even as part of of why there still is the agenda to to keep legalized abortion in our country.
0: Yeah, I mean there is definitely an agenda. As far as legalized abortion goes, um, and I'm certainly not in favor of that, but when it comes to this particular um, time with with COVID, yeah, they they are they have actually used um, at least for investigation purposes aborted fetal cell lines with some of those other candidates I mentioned, the AstraZeneca and the and the uh, Johnson and Johnson vaccine candidates are ones I particularly think of. Um, the technology for messenger RNA, which the two new vaccines use was originally tested against aborted fetal cell lines, but it doesn't actually use those in development. Um, So we've had historically other, uh, just to kind of put some backing on this, we've had some other terrible things that have happened before that have led to some medical breakthroughs we use today. Um, So I, for example, think back to uh, the 40s with Nazi Germany and some of the horrible experiments that did take place on, on the Jewish people. We actually have things that we do today medically that we learn from those horrible acts um so heart transplants uh, and our ability to do that, for example, were greatly impacted by that, not to justify the fact that it happened, but you know God can make anything good.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's the point, Zach. And I appreciate you bringing that up. That God, what what was meant for evil, uh, says the the scriptural text, uh, God can bring back together for good and, and redeem in those ways. And that that's not an easy. I, I know again, people are concerned, but just so that we're clear, the the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines that are on the market right now were, we're not developed with the use of uh, aborted fetal tissue correct okay that's good well zach uh, thanks for joining us this morning any specific way you're going to be celebrating christmas this week any tradition that you guys want to make sure you, you want to enact in the midst of our very special COVID christmas here
0: uh you know with our very special COVID christmas we are uh, probably going to be starting some zoom calls <laughs> right that seems
1: like most of the world is going to be zooming for christmas <laughs> zach uh, i hope you have a very merry christmas thanks for the insight as always the wisdom helping us navigate to all of these different headlines on COVID. so merry christmas
0: All right. Merry Christmas to all of you.
1: We'll take a short break. When we come back for the second half of Hour One here on Mornings Without Carmen, we'll be joined by musician Linda Randall, who has a new gospel uh, music Christmas album that's coming out. We're looking forward to getting some insights on that. And I'm sure Paul Perot will have some previews of that music just for you. Well, in the midst of all the troubling headlines that continue to to make their way into our news feeds each week, uh, I do love some of these uh, special... Uh, uplifting headlines as well as part of Christmas week. I see that workers at an, an Ohio restaurant have a little more spending money this holiday season thanks to a generous customer. An anonymous guest tipped uh, Paul. Do you have any guess uh, on how much this gu- the, this tip was at the? I, I believe I'm pronouncing it right. The Souk Mediterranean Kitchen in Toledo, Ohio. A big tip was given. Any guess? I saw the headline, but I don't know the amount. I'll guess though. Ten thousand. Yeah. Well, it was, was 5,600, and oh, okay. uh so it, but, which is a substantial tip. Uh, and it says that each employee there, even the ones who had the Night off ended up pocketing two hundred dollars. The owner said the tip brought tears to a lot of employees <laughs> eyes and this is just what well, this is we might not be in a position to get fifty six hundred dollars but but I think this week, just knowing the pain and the suffering and the turmoil that even as it impacts us, one of the things that 's true about believers is that we're anchored in a different reality and we can still give freely because we're not Mm -hmm. completely dependent upon the circumstances of this world. So as you're listening this morning and wherever you are in this Christmas week, encourage you to think outwardly at least a couple of different times this week about how you can bring the light of God's beautiful kingdom into our world. Up next, Linda Randall will talk a bit about some Christmas music with a new album that she's released on Mornings Without Carmen.
0: When we witness bullying at school, we often think of bullies as merely the culprits. But many times, bullies can be the victims, too.
1: Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Intimidation is a learned trait. A child who is victimizing another child most likely had the same thing done to him or her, sometimes by other children and sometimes by adults. Hey, even bullies need our love and encouragement. And while we certainly don't want to condone their actions, we should still seek to understand what's behind them. It's what I recommend doing in response to any behavior. Uncover the true source. As we work together to eliminate this growing problem in our children's schools, let's remember to love both the bullied and the bully. You'll find ministry updates and lots of practical help for your family from Mark Gregston at parentingtodaysteens.org. That's parentingtodaysteens.org. Oh, do I love Christmas music. It certainly has been streaming through our Amazon Echo in our house over these last uh, several weeks here, Paul Perot, And, and uh, that voice is a pretty sweet voice that you introduced us to right here. It represents the entrance into the show of singer, songwriter, actor, speaker, television personality. Linda Randall is here joining us to talk a little bit about her new project, White Christmas, released the season on Gaither Music. Good morning, Linda.
2: Good morning, Paul. How are you?
1: Well, we're doing well here, right? I mean, and Paul, this is some of your favorite music. As, as I'm well, a Linda. Christmas music nut. Yeah. You?
2: So, so this is now let me get it right. Cause I, I'm with Paul and Peter, Peter and Paul. Yes, same
1: you, yes, yes, you are. But if, if only you could be married, yeah. you know, <laughs> yes. Although even in that scenario, you'd be the only singer among us. I think, uh, Linda, for our listeners here, your, your voice is uh, it was just a beautiful way to, to come into the program like this. Tell us about the project a little bit that's been released on Gaither Music what was behind it and and what what were you passionate about as you did this uh, project?
2: Well, it had been a long, long time, and I think it's been so long. All the interviews up until this one, this morning, I told everybody. I said, "Well, yes, it's been a decade since we've done a, a Christmas project." And my brother Michael reminded me. He said, "Baby." If you did a project in 2005, that's like 15 years, so it's a little more (laughs) than a decade. So I said, duh, okay, so it's been about 15 years since we've done a Christmas project. And we started tracking and everything and doing uh, stuff last year. My wonderful uh, co-producer, Jason Clark, uh, um, was part of this project. And then we actually finished last year, but we just didn't feel like it was the year to release it, and I can't tell you why. And the beginning of this year, uh, Gay Through Music, um, we said this is going to be the release this year. In January, we had no idea what was in store for this whole entire world uh, this year, but particularly our our, our nation. And it just seems like this was God's perfect timing. It's just like... um, I just wanted this music to just be a healing balm for people as they would listen and, and needing to have our joy and our hope restored. It, it's a big deal. And so um, I just, that's kind of how that came about. Yeah, it really wasn't the uh, the plan, you know, and initially we were going to do a 2019, but it just it just worked out this way.
1: And Linda, among the songs, obviously, there's so many different Christmas songs from which you could choose for an album like this. But uh, given 2020 and and sort of the combination of social unrest, as well as the significant deep divisions politically and, of course, uh, dominated in the news by COVID all throughout the year, did any of that reality shape some of the choices that went into this album for you?
2: Well, no, because, uh, again, we already had picked the songs out last year. So you
1: had done it last year already, and that didn't change anything for you coming into this year.
2: Yeah, it didn't change anything, but it seems like the songs that we have on here, uh, in particular, I always like to pull this one out there, the Sweet Little Jesus Boy, because I sang it. Um, it's, it's a Negro spiritual, traditional spiritual song, and I sang it the way it was written. And it's, you know, broken English. The grandma is, you know, uh, not correct or anything. But there's the humility um, in this song, as the writer, you know, wrote about this little baby Jesus coming to this world in such a humble way. And for me, it's um, it's just a message to all of us, especially for God's kids, that we should walk in his humility each and every day. And I think if we do that, and it's a choice, guys, it's a choice, there would be a lot more peace on this earth. Um, we would love each other the way Christ loves us, and we would really be uh, the church that the world's looking at that needs to see for hope. And so I, I really believe that song in particular um, there's a lot of great songs on there, but that one really is like, yeah, I, I want to, I want every day to be like this humble baby Jesus as I, um, you know, um, are hanging out with my brothers and sisters in Christ.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. And Linda, the deep theology underwriting a song such as that uh, comes right out of Philippians where it talks about that Jesus, though he was in, though he was very nature God, didn't consider his equality with God something to be hung on to. He let it go. The the very version of humility you talked about, uh, he says, let this attitude be in you. That was the same as in Christ Jesus. And and I I would love for you to say just even a little bit more for our listeners, too, uh, about some of the theology that does underpin some of these great Negro spiritual songs uh, in terms of uh, just the context and, and what. We can learn from that because uh, because context matters in how we understand God it, it matters how we understand our faith and uh, and certainly the the richness of that fabric and that tapestry when we all come together we can see a greater picture and a greater mosaic here
2: absolutely and it, it for me it just says that it's it takes all of us together, and I think there's so much we can glean from one another um, i I was doing a virtual um, conference a few weeks ago and my my topic was guess who's coming to dinner. Mm. And, of course, some of people are not old enough to remember, but it was a movie back, uh, I don't even know the year, but Catherine Hepburn and Sidney Poitier, uh, a, a, white, a white woman to bring home a black guy for dinner. Of course, it was a big shocker and all that kind of stuff. But more than that, I think that the title for me, it was basically, um, I think the Lord just dropped that in my spirit, because if we would just sit down and have conversations, you know, um, with people that don't look like us, like like us, or write like us, or think like us, or whatever, and have these hard conversations, I think we would understand each other a lot better. And some people, I, I know when it comes to Negro spiritual, some people, you know, don't necessarily get it. Like you, some of the songs, well, other songs don't really say that much. They're so repetitious, blah, blah, blah. I go, yeah, but they say a lot. You know, it just says a lot because a lot of our. Um, the, a lot of the people back then were not educated. They weren't allowed to go to school, um, and they still, they somehow, they God still spoke to them through music, which is big. It's a big part of our culture and our tradition as people of, of color. And not saying it's not of yours, but of ours. But if people would just sit down and have the hard conversations, you know, what does your dinner table look like? on a weekly or monthly or yearly basis or wh- where you have lunch or who are you hanging out with? Who are you chatting with? Yes, let's learn about, you know, each other and let's talk about these things. Let's build some bridges. So a lot of these spirituals for me, um, I'm in a lot of predominantly white circles too, and it's opportunity for me to just build a bridge, you know? And I think that's where um, I think that's what God wants us to do, absolutely.
1: And Linda, there's something about music, isn't there, and I bet you could, you've you experienced this over the years, that has the capacity to crash through some of our both known and unknown resistances to some of what you described in terms of sitting at the table together, that it seems to me I could hear a sermon about, you know, go do these things, participate in reconciliation between us uh, in these ways, But but it doesn't carry the same sort of uh, oomph or, or power that music might to invite us into the same thing. So I would love for you to comment a bit about just the power of music to get through some of these known and unknown barriers that we might have.
2: Yeah, music is just the language of love. I mean, just, you know, for people who can understand your language, you know, we go to a lot of different countries. We're, we're in Like, I feel like Norway is my second home, but, you know, we're in Norway and Switzerland and <laughs> You know, all over the the world. Even when we went to South Africa, they speak English a lot of them with accents. But but music has a way of just breaking down barriers. Um, And I I believe that's the way God intended for music to be. And I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you don't have the message, you don't have the words, you don't know what to say to people, it's a song that will soften the heart. And, um, uh, you know, when um, I believe it was like Saul, when he had – his spirit was troubled. He would have David come play on his harp and, you know, and soothe his spirit, you know, and calm his spirit. And I think a lot of times God uses music that way. And I I just think, you know, yes, we need a lot more music today in this world, especially with, and I'm just particularly thinking of believers, God's kids Mm. right now that seem to be, our world seems to be just topsy-turvy as Christians and it's just been a hard season for us, not just COVID, but this political season and the racial unrest. Um, but I'm thankful that when I get to go to these, you know, when we were touring and I was in all these different churches and circles and just songs, and then I would ha- have hard conversations after. Sometimes people would come up and go, hey, and they would ask me some questions that you would – you would. we don't have the time to talk about it this morning, but I think music is a great place to
1: start, Absolutely. We're talking with award-winning musician Linda Randall this morning here on Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for the morning. Linda, when we come back in just a minute, I would love to get into this great opportunity that you and your brother, Michael Tate, had to participate in the National Christmas Tree Lighting Ceremony and get your thoughts on what that was like as well as a book you released a couple years ago. Lots more to come here with Linda Randall as we talk about Christmas music here on Mornings Without Carmen.
0: Sweet little holy
2: child (laughs) no can do the job when you're in town
1: <laughs> I love that song we're chatting with Linda Randall this morning an award winning musician about a uh, project white Christmas released on Gaither music and Linda, if our listeners want to uh, get more about this project and, and get the entire uh, album where can they go for this
2: you know what it's LindaRandall.com, dot com but every music out music outlet uh, you can get like iTunes and Amazon and all that. I don't even know, but it's it's everywhere. Gaither, everywhere. So just look for White Christmas Linda Randall so you'll find it. I
1: love it. And, Linda, earlier uh, off the air, you and I and Paul were chatting about, you know, it's the Peter, Paul, and Linda show this morning. and Clearly the Peter, Paul do not sing, but, but you do, and you're willing to give us maybe just a little short snippet. Even however early in the morning it is, you're willing to give us a, a little acapella this morning.
2: I'll go – That's
1: it. That's it this morning. That's it. That's it, guys. Linda, <laughs> there's no scenario where either Paul or I will ever be waking up saying, you know, being able to sing like that. Paul, that was amazing. And this is over a phone connection. It still sounded great. It does. Compared to
0: happening <laughs> you, great. It's
2: good for me this morning. It's going to be a great day.
1: <laughs> uh, I love it, Linda. Well, you also have had the opportunity recently with your brother, Michael Tate, who's the lead singer of Newsboys, to, to participate in the National Christmas Tree Lighting Ceremony. Tell us about what that was like and how did this invitation even come up for you?
2: That was so cool. Our publicist, uh, Turning Point Media, um, just brought us that opportunity. And what was so cool was uh, my brother and I were raised in Washington, D.C. That's our hometown. I was Mm. like, oh, my lands! I mean, right there in the city. So funny. I meet people throughout the years and say, oh, yeah, I was born in D.C. And I always say, well, which part? And they'll go, well, Maryland, North Virginia, somewhere in the outskirts. We were born right there in the nation's capital, not far from the Capitol building. And you could walk. Uh, to the White House from our house, um, it'd probably be 30, 40 minutes. But you could actually walk um, to Pennsylvania Avenue from 628 E Street, so it was cool. So he brought us that opportunity, and um, we, when he said, he said, "Well, we got to get you cleared at the, you know, White House. We got to do this. We got to say, okay, cool." I didn't know what the what the deal was. I really didn't understand all of it, but they said it's going to be virtual, and I said, cool. And so we recorded it here and. Kansas City with a wonderful group of people. I have to give a shout out to my Christopher Smith, who's a music professor at Mid America Nazarene University, who put everything together with the musicians and all of that. And uh, so it was just a cool, a cool opportunity, and we were, we were just grateful and humbled by it. It was really cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, what, what an opportunity. Do you get a chance, to, I know a lot of it was virtual, but you get a chance to sort of even just see the scope or the size of this Christmas tree? I know just even the eight-footer we have in our house. Uh, let's just say my wife and I did not do a great job of anchoring it at first and yeah. nearly fell over one night until we had to tie it after the dining room table so we could re-anchor it. But this is, I mean, this is a gigantic Christmas tree. You grew up in Washington, D.C. It, it, it really is the real deal.
2: It's the real deal, but, you know, again, because it was virtual, we weren't even... Physically there, we would have been in that space like if you go back and look at the uh, two thousand and nineteen Christmas tree lighting all the artists and musicians were physically there um, at that park, um, just right across from the White House would have so we, we weren 't there, but it was it was a neat tree and it was like um, decorated by children and kids from all over the country, which was pretty cool and uh, and then the the actual uh, ceremony you'll see a lot of people from the national parks. Uh, represented in that ceremony, uh, the national tree.org. If somebody missed it, they just need to go to the national uh And then you'll get to see it. But yeah, it's, it such a cool
1: thing. It was so cool. Hmm. Well, Linda, you're not just uh, this, you know, blessed with this incredible voice, but you've also been an author. And uh, a little while ago, you released a children's book called The Cab Driver's Daughter about your life growing up in the years of D.C. and touching on uh, some racism as well as some of the injustice that you experienced, but also the reconciliation around that. So tell our listeners about this book that you wrote.
2: Oh, yes. The Cab Driver's Daughter. Well, my dad... Um, My mom, beautiful people. They're both of the Lord now. But my dad drove a cab in the D.C. area in Maryland and Virginia for many, many, many years. And I was blessed, like my other siblings, I'm in the middle of seven kids, but to go with him on a lot of his cab runs and all that kind of stuff. But it's really cool because my parents almost maybe were not going to be my parents because when they were married um, really early on, they had one kid at the time, But their marriage, they weren't getting along, and so they separated and went to different parts of the country. My mom in North Carolina and my dad in in Washington, D.C., but my dad was in his cab and heard the gospel preached for the very first time, made plain and clear. He pulls over his cab, guys, and asks the Lord to just come into his heart. Mm. comes to Jesus, and not long after that, he called my mom and said, hey, can we give it a— Give it another try. My mother agreed, and God gave him six more kids. <laughs> <laughs> I was in that. I was in that next dump, or you know that. So, and so, um, but God really um, just just blessed them so much, and it was really cool. We sit around the table, have family devotions, and all that kind of stuff. And my dad uh, led me to the Lord at twelve, and I tell people he was my savior, but I didn't know anything about him being my Lord till later on. But I mm. fell the ninth grade with thirty two F's like bad got put into christian (laughs) school predominantly white christian school after that and that was the beginning of a lot of things where god just started speaking to my heart about building bridges because it was cultural shock i'm not gonna lie um and there's there's so much i could say about it but i'm so grateful for my dad um the way he loved jesus the way he loved people my mom the same and they taught us to love people no matter the color of your skin. He said God made us all mm. and we're, you know, it's it's we're going to all those of us who prof, uh, profess Christ and confess Christ, we're going to be all in the same God's heaven. And so we need to start getting along down here. So there's there's it would take hours, guys, to really have the conversations that I think we need to have. Um, but this little snippets, um, as we're doing this morning, I think is a, a great place to start.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you referencing the idea that this takes hours and days and years to even live out. And Linda, we do only have a snippet left, about 90 seconds or so. Uh, there, there's often conversation that, about the divisions that exist, but sometimes it's hard to find the the healing pathway forward. And, and in your years working in in bridging some of these divisions, uh, what do you, just even a sense of hope that it is possible that we can live in as the graft community of God together, right? We we are we Absolutely. have been grafted into this beautiful family. So just end with some hope on that part of it.
2: Absolutely. And you know what? We just need well, that's, we just need to get together. Let's go to each other's churches. Let's go to each other's homes. Let's sit down at the lunch table at uh, at our at our jobs and dinner tables in our homes and have the hard conversations. Or even have the let's start with the easy conversations. How are you doing? How's the weather? Whatever. But the world's looking on, so we've got to do better. And, and I'm, I'm excited because I know that God's going to give us what we need as we're moving forward uh, to represent Him well. And so the hope of the baby in the manger is still the hope that we uh, should hold on uh, to today. So I'm excited.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, Linda, thanks so much for joining us. Again, the music can be found of your new album, White Christmas, released on Gather Music at lindarandall.com. Any other places as well? Paul, we're going to head into break with another snippet of this music?
0: That's right. We have from the album... Thank you, baby Jesus. Hey thanks, Linda.
2: Thank you, guys. For being born on Christmas Day. Thank you, baby Jesus. I am so
1: Boy, oh boy, if you just caught only a little uh, segment or a little part of that last interview with Linda Randall, you're going to want to go back to the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com and catch that entire thing, including the fact that she really was William Paul. Uh, to, she said at first when we brought her, uh, just before coming on the air, she mm-hmm. thought, that's a little early for me to sing, but, but she warmed up and then she just went for yeah, it. To get a little acapella it. like that, it was mm-hmm. it was beautiful. It was fabulous. It was fabulous. <laughs> and I do want to reference uh, the book that she did talk about a little bit towards the end and certainly would love to, to get into even more fully, uh, maybe in a different interview, a different time. But that book that she talked about was called The Cab Driver's Daughter. It was about growing up uh, in her years in D.C. She talks about racism. She talks about racial divisions being healed and reconciled. She's one of the only African-Americans who's been a part of this Gaither ministry and, and music uh, organization. And she's really been a unique bridge there. So she has lots of great things to say that not only can can talk about the divisions that exist but the but the more difficult reality of how do we begin to walk in healing in those divisions how do we begin to walk in the fullness of those divisions and you go to amazon.com again the book is titled the cab driver's daughter. And uh, among the many things that we can celebrate during this COVID Christmas time is the idea that we really are grafted in, to use the language of Romans, that we are part of the new people of God that now exists because of the beautiful work of Jesus on the cross and the fact that he has conquered death in that tomb. And so we are one big family of Jesus followers, regardless of context and background, regardless of skin color and age. We all fit in that same beautiful kingdom uh, of people who have said yes to following Jesus. More to come. We've got hour two coming up next, starting with Linda Mintel here on Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for the day.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.